I'm going to open up to Luke chapter 24. We're going to continue in uh, the Easter story. We're going to pick up in verse 36 of chapter 24. The disciples are gathered in a room. And it says that while they were talking about this, how Jesus had risen in several different stories, while they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you frightened? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and, and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. The word of the Lord. We have been working through a series about writing your own headlines. Um, we've been talking about the fact that you know, it's common for Christians to call uh, the gospel the gospel, right? The word gospel means good news. And so we are celebrating that there is good news, and yet we recognize that not all of us um, quite share good news practically in our everyday lives. Sometimes the stories we tell are the ones of failure, of disappointment, of loss, of emptiness. Uh, and there's a lot of reason that that happens. We look around us, things aren't as we would like them to be. We gripe because the news sources that we watch tend to have things that are not as uplifting or as hopeful as we would like them to be, but we do the very same things. And so we've been walking through Luke chapter 24, where the disciples are trying to make sense of what on earth happened with Jesus's death and resurrection. And so we are still in the midst of that original Easter Sunday, where they've had a, a busy day. Uh, it started with sadness, started with some women who were trying to bury Jesus's body properly. Finally, the Sabbath is over. We're going to go prepare him, embalm him. And then his body is gone. Like, why are you still antagonizing us? Where have you taken our Lord? Where, what did you do to his body? Where is it? And they eventually start having different occurrences of seeing Jesus. Mary Magdalene gets to see him in the story. Um, we find the road to Emmaus. These disciples are on this journey, and they're talking to someone they don't know who they're talking to, and it's actually Jesus. And when they realize it's Jesus, they go and share that with the other disciples. And they say, hey, Peter also has a story, and they're talking about that when we arrive at the story that we read this morning. And I think there's a few very good tips, very good opportunities for us to learn from this story about what is it for us to share good news with those around us. And so in this story, the very first thing that's really, really helpful to, to not just take in and hear, but live out is you should talk about someone like they're in the room with you. The disciples, thankfully, are telling good things about Jesus when Jesus shows up in their midst. But it's really kind of, kind of comical, almost, in the story. They're talking about Jesus showing up to them, and then Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And they were startled and terrified and thought they had saw a ghost. If you've ever been talking about somebody and then they just popped behind your shoulder... <laughs> 
You know the feeling of, oh my goodness, how long have you been there? What did you hear? What do you think about me? And it's kind of natural because no matter what, when you're talking to somebody, you always try to contextualize the things that you say. And you're very careful about the framing and, and you're careful about what their thoughts and feelings are. And when they're not in the room, you don't feel like you have to put as much of the guard up. And you just feel like you're talking freely. And then they startle you. Like, oh no, what did I just say? Uh, let's see, I was saying this, this, that. Okay. Uh, and so I love that Jesus just shows up and just does a common greeting. Say, hey, peace be with you. Now, I think the Gospels enjoy playing with that of like, let's take this literally, this greeting that everybody uses. But this is him just saying, hey, what's up? Hey, good morning. Hey, good evening. How's it going? Just a common greeting, and it just startles them. <laughs> like, oh my goodness, who is this? And they're also wondering, because he just appears, is he a ghost? Like, how did he even get in here? Did somebody let him in? Did you hear the door? I didn't hear the door. And so we should conduct ourselves in the story. It's a good thing. This time the disciples didn't mess up too badly. They've got some other things they're working through in this text. But it's not bad-mouthing that Jesus arrives to. And that's a good tip of advice. You should probably live your life in such a way that if that person walks in the room on you, that you will never feel embarrassed or ashamed or sad or regretful because your word about somebody, whether they're there or not, is not something to be ashamed of. And so what kind of language, what kind of news are we sharing about people in our lives? And I'm sure there's people in here who've, who've either walked in or have overheard or read a note. If you're thinking about like school years, people writing notes and passing it along and somebody else catching it and reading it. Uh, if you see, you know, somebody that's shared their DM, shared their text messages, you know, we want to be people that you're not going to be embarrassed when what you say about someone comes to light. Now, I realize there's one challenge, like sidestep to this conversation, which is, I think we live in a time where people are unafraid and unabashedly just saying awful things about people, right? Whether they're in the room or not. And like, it gets taken as a sense of, isn't this person really brave? Isn't this person so amazing? They just say what they think. Isn't it just great that they just, they just let these things fly out of their mouth? And if you want to read scripture and pay attention to what it talks about the tongue and our speech, uh, that is not a biblical conception to say that being harsh, being you know, ill-willed in our speech, being hateful, those kinds of things aren't celebrated at the freedom of your mouth. The Bible says you need to learn how to control your mouth. And that the mouth shows what's on the, going on on the inside. And so what is it to be people who, who actually speak from a place that wants what's good for each other, who wants what's life-giving for those around us, whether people are in the room or not? You know, this, this principle is really like kind of hit over our heads in academic life because it was like an easy thing for, let's say, freshmen going into writing classes in college. And you're supposed to write on a topic, write on a point of view. And the easy low-hanging fruit is to pick apart the things you think are the weakest part of someone's ideas. The things that are like, oh, this is just outrageous. And just like pick apart that stuff. And there's a fallacy called like attacking a straw man, where it's not even the low-hanging fruit of things they actually believe or say. It's what you think about the things that they say. And so you put the worst version of someone up and you attack the worst version of them and say, ah, isn't my position so great? 
Aren't I so smart, so good? And so one of the things you're trained to do is write as if that person that you're writing about actually shows up in the room, and you're like, yes, you have actually taught what I think. And now we can disagree, but don't disagree with something that's not true about me. Speak honestly of me and my position. And so maybe today might be a day where you think about, how do I talk about other people? Now that can be your friends, your family, coworkers, neighbors. Oh no, people on a different side of political ideas as me. How do I talk about those people? Do I talk about them in a way that I would be startled if they showed up in the room at the same time as I am in there? And so Jesus startles the disciples showing up, and they're like, this guy has to be a ghost. How on earth did he get here? And the next thing that we should be okay with, if we want to be sharing good news, is we have to be willing to investigate good news. Something that's interesting that happens in this text is Jesus asks them, why are you frightened? He says, why do doubts uh, arise in your hearts? And he has to say, why do doubts arise in your hearts? Because nobody offered them out loud. People were thinking to themselves, who on earth, like what on earth is going on here? Who is this Jesus? I guess he's just a ghost. What, what's going on? But nobody has the like, courage to like, ask the question out loud. And so you're just going to sit there. And if Jesus didn't say anything to them, the story would just end with them being sitting in the fact that they think this is a ghost story. Oh, I guess Jesus' ghost is walking around. But Jesus brings it up to them. He doesn't go out of the story and talk to uh, Mary Magdalene or somebody else and be like, can you believe those guys in there? I show up, and they still don't even believe. Two of them say, hey, why don't you believe? Why do you got doubts in your heart? Let's talk about it. And I think that that's such an important step in our lives to be willing to ask questions, to be willing to explore, to throw some things out on the table and say, okay, here's where I'm at. What do I do with this situation? And so Jesus offers for them the, the ability for them to explore, ask questions. It's okay to doubt. I, I'm not chastising you. I'm not belittling you. I'm not leaving the room and then doing those things. But I'm willing just to have a conversation. Let's, let's talk through it. And I think that some people find that faith, they feel like they need to know and believe everything and you know, everything has to be nice and tidy. And if you don't feel nice and tidy about what you think about God, that you shouldn't like go to church or shouldn't go pray or whatever it is. It's like, I got to go hide because I don't have all my faith that I think I should have. But scripture is filled with so many people where it's okay. You doubted. All right, let's talk about it. If it's okay to doubt when Jesus is in the room standing in front of you and to, to work through that and process that, then it's surely okay for us to process it too. And so Jesus says, hey, why are you doubting in your hearts? And so some people, maybe in the room, maybe your doubts aren't out loud. They've just been buried. And it's okay to bring those out, to ask questions, to say, hey, God, I don't understand this. Or to a friend, to someone else at, at church, to, to myself, to anybody, just say, can you help me process this? I'm having these questions, and I'm not sure what to do with it. It's okay to bring those things out. And so we, we want to be people who talk in a way that we don't mind who else is in the room. They can come in. We're, we're talking the same way. We want to be people who investigate what this good news is 
Say, hey, here's the questions I have. Here's the doubts I have. And then I think the beautiful thing of this story is that Jesus invites people not to just get a lecture about something, but to experience it. If you want to share good news, let people experience it. It's so much more teaching than just talking abstractly about that thing. And so Jesus in the story, he invites them uh, to experience him. Okay, you think I'm a ghost. How can I help you not think that I'm a ghost anymore? And so he says, look at my hands and my feet. Can you see me? See, uh, that is me, myself. And maybe if you're the Maus Road disciples, you've already been kind of fooled. You didn't notice him earlier. And so you're like, okay, I'm paying more attention. All right, that, yep, that's Jesus. See, I've got hands and feet. Um, touch me and see. For a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So, okay, if you see me and you're still struggling with it, if you need to come touch, yep, I'm real. Come touch me. It's okay. Walk up. You know, you've got these doubts. Walk all the way up to and touch. You know, you might be like, afraid like it's going to be ephemeral or something. Like, I'm going to touch through this or it's not going to be real. But take that leap of faith and reach out and touch and find that I'm not just a ghost. And I think that would feel like an appropriate ending spot for this exploration. We'd be like, okay, he offered that they could touch him. That's the end of the story. They don't think he's a ghost anymore. And I love that Jesus looks around and he sees that the people are joyful, but they were also still disbelieving and still wondering about it. And that feels really true to our lives. You've had moments where something felt real, and yet you still doubted after that. Like, oh man, God, you're so good. I, I can't believe you did this. I can't believe this has worked out in this way. I never saw this. And yet, the doubts still are creeping around in the back of your head. And so Jesus is even saying, like, okay, touch my hands and feet. I'm real. And they're joyful about it. But it still kind of feels like a ghost story. Still kind of stuck there. And so Jesus is left wondering, okay, how do I get you to get the fact that I'm real? And so he says, hey, I'm hungry. You got any food? Do you have anything to eat? Um, that's a question we ask so many times, I'm sure, of like, hey, I'm hungry. What is there to eat? He, he showed up and said, hey, peace be with you. Shalom. What's up? He said, hey, I got some food. You got any food? I'm, I'm hungry. And so they said, we've got some broiled fish. For some of you, you might love broiled fish. You're like, oh, wonderful. For some of you, maybe you're not a fish fan or whatever it is. You're like, all right, that's what we've got, broiled fish. I'm sure he enjoyed it. They, he was around a lot of fishermen. I'm sure they had a lot of fish. And so they gave him that piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it. Do you need to see me eat something? Will that help you know that I'm real? It's like, all right, you could touch me, you could watch me, but I'm going to eat this fish, and you're not going to see the fish anymore. Will that finally let that register for you, that I'm real, I'm here? And so Jesus allows them to experience the good news that he is risen. We talked about they were hoping that he would overthrow Rome, overthrow the oppressors, um, that he would make Israel great, that he would make them strong, make them powerful, send away Romans. And instead, he goes to a cross, dies, and is raised. And they have no idea what to do with that. And so part of having to understand what being raised means and that that's good news is 
I'm not just a ghost in front of you. There's something physical to me. I'm here. Touch. See. We can have a meal together. And the Emmaus disciples should have already known that. They had bread together earlier. But they're all struggling to say, okay, can resurrection be real? What does that mean? How is this good news? And so I think that there's such beauty in this story because for so many of us, when somebody doesn't understand something, we feel like we could give another lecture and that that will make people understand it. If you've ever been on social media and someone disagrees with your point of view, you feel like if I make one more comment, they're going to believe my position somehow. How well does that work out? (laughs) It just doesn't. And and I know that there are some people where it's like, hey, I've got to let you know, we can't talk about the subject anymore in this medium because there won't be any understanding. Um, There's a difference between when you can show up and go have coffee together and go just talk to someone, see someone face-to-face, interact, see that they are real, where you can learn something from that interaction. And I think about on today when we celebrate mothers, mothers of all sorts, We think about people who didn't just tell kids or tell people they were mentoring in their life, didn't tell people about how to do something, but who also modeled doing something. Here's how you do this. And seeing somebody in their daily life kind of teach you how to do something. That there's something valuable in that that experience. It's not just talking about good news. It's experiencing it. That's what's going to actually shape us and reshape us. I know for a lot of people... Um, faith becomes about being spiritual and we cut off physical world stuff. So people don't want to care about rituals or physical things that we do. It's only about the inside that matters. And then you also imagine that the only thing that matters is eternity and and some sort of spiritual afterlife. And and we really just start to downplay our physical selves. Uh, Even though God took clay, shaped us, breathed into us, that The biblical model is that our whole selves are valuable, are meaningful, are a part of who we are. And there's something valuable in saying our whole experience teaches. Our whole experience matters. It's not just our ideas, our thoughts, our spiritual selves. Our whole being is a part of this good news. And so on this day, I want to ask are we living in ghost towns? Because, you know, the disciples in the story, they feel like Jesus just being there is just a ghost. And we talk about ghost towns, these towns where it's kind of disappearing, right? What was once there is no longer. Suddenly it just starts emptying. Are we ghost towns? You might have heard me talk about the fact that in my experience of Jackson, I've heard at least three types of Jackson Uh, viewpoints. I'm sure there's more than three, but three main ones that I see. There's one that has a historical memory of the kind of industries, the kind of businesses, the kinds of things that used to be in Jackson, where the vantage point is hard to see positivity in what has happened in the last several decades. Because it's like, I remember when, pick the name of the industry. And so there's sadness around what used to be and what is now. I can talk to some some friends, some uh, people of color who say, you know, I don't really want to go back in time. And their recollection of Jackson and its history is one that they are more positive about what might be instead of going into the past. And then I also talk to some some younger folks, the 
like the Jackson Young Professionals groups that put on the mural festival, who are like, we are a small city who has opportunity. Like, why don't we make something of this place? And who want to show people that it can be a beautiful place, that it can be a possibility place. And all of those things can be true of the experience of this place. And I was thinking about what makes a ghost town, what makes possibility beyond just being a ghost town. And uh, I was thinking about, my wife and I went on a travel. We used to live in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, Atlanta has a lot of travel sites. And if I were to ask you, what do you think were the top three most travel to destination spots in Georgia? I've kind of said one out loud, Atlanta. Anybody have any ideas of what would be the next most traveled to spot of Georgia? Savannah. After Savannah is a really unexpected place. Um, Helen, Georgia, up in the mountains of North Georgia, is a very, very tiny town. A town with a long history. They experienced in the 1800s, San, uh, you know, we talk about California and the San Francisco and the 49ers and, and kind of the gold rush of California. Georgia had its own gold rush. And so there was this gold rush in this area of Helen, Georgia, and it boomed for a little while. And then the gold rush died down. And then it became timber. And like, we've got plenty of trees, let's get into the timber industry. And let's do some mining. But all of those industries ebbed and flowed and eventually kind of disappeared. And so in the late 1960s, a few folks got together in Helen. The town is like a population of like 500 or something like that. And they said, what do we do to save our town? Like the industries are all going away, what do we do? And they had the, the audacious idea to make it a German town and to make it a tourist destination. They completely redesigned their city. Every single building, the code changed, and they helped provide the economics for people to meet this code. But suddenly the entire town was shaped to look like a Bavarian village in the middle of uh, in Germany. And so all of the storefronts, all of the color codes for the outdoors, for the inside, um, the whole, like they changed the names of streets, all of it to give a German feel, something that hadn't existed a few years earlier than that. And they became a little German town in North Georgia. And people showed up for it. People started coming and they enjoyed going and feeling like they were stepping into Germany and getting this weird travel experience in this tiny little town. And all these people bought into it. And within 10 years, the federal government sent people to them saying, what on earth did you do and how did you do it? Because we'd like to know how to revitalize small towns. And this little town of 500 people has the longest running Oktoberfest in the world. And it was a town that was, had other kinds of roots. Sure, there were some kinds of German roots, but it was not that thing. But they were able to tap into a part of their story and say, that story can speak to somebody. And if we try and if we go all out, maybe somebody will appreciate who we are and will show up so that when the, like, the main trade routes don't go through us, we will become a destination because we are trying to reach people. And it's such a beautiful thing because ghost towns aren't because there's just no people anymore. It's because the place is trying to find out how on earth do we become relevant. 
because there still are relevant places, but how do we become relevant? And so I think if the good news is just a ghost story for us, it won't be good news that's relevant to anybody. Like if, if our faith is just something spiritual that has no physicality, has no effect on my life, it's just a nice thing to think about, nice thing to have a little belief system around, but it doesn't do anything, it becomes dead. It becomes a ghost town. And so if the good news is just a ghost story to us, it won't be that the good news is irrelevant. It'll be that we are irrelevant. Because the good news still goes out. It still has a lot of power all on its own. But there's something beautiful about saying yes and being a part of turning that good news into an experience that people can interact with, people can, can see it lived out. And that's why we think there's such beauty and and the church is not just about a worship service, it's not just about sermons or songs. It's it's a fullness beyond just this moment. It's how you live your life around at your homes, by your neighbors, with your friends, with your family. It's when we come together and we offer meals. It's when we offer hygiene product pantry supplies. It's when we have our blessing box out front. It's the whole experience so that people can see and say, there's something tangible here. There's something good here. What is that? And our job is to learn how to extend our hands and our feet and say, touch, it's fine. It's real. I know we live in a world where it seems like everything is falling apart and it's hard to believe in anything hopeful, but see, touch, it's, there's actually some good news. And so if we want to move our lives and our stories from being a ghost story to being a good news story, we have to be willing to to experience, to offer that experience to others, and to find how to bring that good news and relevance to the world around us. And so I hope for each of us that we might have our own experience of this story, that if you've been uh, doubting about something in your life, that you don't hide that thing, but you just put it on the table. Think about the people in Helen, Georgia, if they had just kind of like, you know, we're kind of shrinking, we don't know what to do, and they all thought it and felt it, but didn't want to say anything or tried anything, nothing would have changed. So what in your life you need to set out on the table and say, God, I don't understand this, can we talk about it? Maybe that's also with a friend, with a family member. But what do we put on the table to talk about and then find some place to plug in into your life where good news can be experienced. Where somebody can show up and understand what your faith is through that moment. And so one of the things that we always invite people to is with our cafes on Wednesday nights, because we have so many volunteer opportunities and so many dinner opportunities, that's one of the places we just say, hey, if you want to know what good news looks like, just show up. And you get a little glimpse. And it's a little bit different every time but show up and also extend that invite to some other people. Because you're not the only one who struggles with faith, with doubt. Others are too. And so think about them. See how you can get them in the room, not just talking about that other person. Oh, I wish I could have a conversation. Just go get in a room and and talk through what good news can look like. Invite them into that experience. And so my hope is that each of us might not be living a ghost story, that our stories might be a different genre than that, 
that it might be real, that it might be meaningful, hopeful, and that each of our families, our, our workplaces, this church, this city, might not be ghost towns, but be vibrant and life-giving and hopeful. And that's the good news of the story today. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we come before you complex with hopes, with doubts, with strengths, with weaknesses. Lord, I ask that you would help us to be people who fully bring ourselves to you and to each other, that we might not hide parts of ourselves that, that also need good news, but that we would be willing to, to bring light into the dark places of our, of our hearts, of our selves. Lord, I ask that you might bring hope, bring life out of those dark places. Lord, help us to be people that might imagine what it looks like for your good news to live vibrantly in our lives and the lives around us. Lord, help us to have eyes to see so that we might see your hands and feet already at, the, in the, at work in the world. We're not alone. Let us, Lord, look to you and find renewed hope and strength and courage. And Lord, for all who are in the midst of, of struggles and, and those doubts are, are really big and strong and heavy right now, Lord, we ask that your presence might be experienced in some way today and this week, that there might be experiences that help reshape the way that we see the world and the way we see you. Lord, let our, our eyes see you today. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.